Hey entrepreneurs, this week we talked to Alita Norris, who is a leadership development expert. She's a best-selling author of two books. One of them is Women Who Spark, and the next one is Women Who Spark After 50. In addition to being an author, she also owns a business with a partner that's 25 years in the making, and it's called Living as a Leader. She owns nine real estate properties in addition to that. On this podcast, she talks about being a multi-business entrepreneur and how that came about for her. She also gets personal with us and talks about how at 40 years old, her life she felt was a bit of a disaster and described what her old land looked like and now what her new land is at 58 years old where she is feeling absolutely happy and confident and grateful in her world. You're going to love Alita Norris. Alita, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're happy to have you. Uh, We were just talking when we were not recording about the variety of businesses that you have. Maybe we can start there and just recap the number of businesses that you work in and have now, and then feel free to bring us up to speed with any part of your entrepreneurial story that you care to share. Oh, all right. So yeah, so we start in the present and work backwards, huh? Perfect. So yeah, so you know, Rich and John, as I was sharing with you, I'm kind of a a multi entrepreneurial entrepreneurial person, and I always have been going back to my childhood. So today, I am co-leading. I'm a co-founder of a 25 year old leadership development consulting firm called Living as a Leader. And um, I co-lead that with a with my longtime business partner. I am also the author of um, two books called Women Who Spark and Women Who Spark After 50. And I started a I started a platform, in fact, called Women Who Spark about two and a half years ago to help women reinvent and reignite their life for the second half. And then in addition to those couple of things, for about 25 years, I've managed a portfolio of real estate properties. And so I've got, um, I've got nine properties that I, that I manage myself with a bunch of tenants that sometimes don't make that easy for me. But those are, those are kind of all the things that I'm, that I'm doing right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Tell us about how you came to where you're where you are now and some of your just kind of entrepreneurial story along the way. All right. So I um I I graduated from college in 1985 and went into sales. And it just so happened that I started working for a company that was very committed to professional development. And as a young, just out of college salesperson, one of my very favorite things to do really in in anything related to my new profession was to attend sales training. I absolutely loved it. And so I was working out of a territory in Dallas and the home office was in Atlanta. And over about two years, I maybe on a quarterly basis, you know, flew to Atlanta with all the other young salespeople and participated in this in in sales training. And one day I sat in that room and I simply said to myself, I want to be her, that woman at the front of the room who's teaching this workshop, I want to be her. And it was about three years later that I went back to school to begin working on a master's degree in adult education and organizational science, which is the human side of business. And I retooled to become a trainer and um, took a part-time job as a training manager while I was in school. So I left my sales job, became a part-time trainer. And then, uh, then I had an opportunity to go work for a consultant So I did. I went to work for a consultant to kind of understudy how to be a leadership training and coaching consultant. So I did that for a couple of years. 
And I did it part-time because I was having children. I was starting to have kids and I had three kids by now this time. And one day I went to him and I asked for flexibility in my schedule, right? I sound like a millennial 30 years ago. And I asked him if in my part-time, my three days a week, could I shift the days around to accommodate things that were happening with my, with my, you know, my young family. And he said, no. And so the next day I quit and I went out on my own. I, I just hung a shingle as an individual trainer and coach. So I don't even know what I was thinking, (laughs) but I just knew that I couldn't be boxed in. So that was really where it all started. And that was in about 19, um, about 1990 that I, I just went out on my own. I was 27 years old and I've been a entrepreneur ever since. Wow. That takes some guts. It, yeah, it took something. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of you asked for some schedule flexibility. You were told no. And you're like, yeah, this road's not for me. I need to be able to make my own schedule. And you start for, at that point, you didn't really know what you would do next. You just know what you didn't want. Is that Mm -hmm. accurate? Yeah. Yeah. So pick us up from the story from there. So you say, I quit. You probably turn around and go, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Mm -hmm. Uh, what now? So how do things progress from there? Well, and so, you know, keeping in mind, I was one half of a married couple at the time. And so I had, you know, I had some flexibility to do that. Well, right around that same time, I was having conversations with a woman who was a former customer back in my sales rep days. And so the timing of this was just really good. She was working for a consulting firm in Milwaukee where I, where I was living now by that time, I had moved from Dallas, Milwaukee. And they were, they were building a a team of trainers who would be certified facilitators of the Wilson learning organization. So Wilson learning is an international training company. So I essentially became a subcontract trainer for another consulting firm using the um, kind of all of the curriculum that came out of Wilson Learning. So it was, that was very fortunate for me. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I, and, and at the time, of course, I was working as a subcontract trainer and making 40% of their revenue. And I just thought, well, what the heck? What am I doing working for 40% for someone? Why don't I go work for 100% for myself? So I went to two different organizations and kind of knocked on their door and said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm kind of early in my career. I'm a, I'm a trainer. I'm a, but at that point, I was not really a trainer and coach. I was a trainer. So I'm a professional development trainer. I work in sales development, team development, leadership development. Would you be willing to give me a break? Like give me an entry point. I would charge you less than a seasoned consultant. And I just need to start somewhere. And I had two business owners of large manufacturing companies who both said, yeah, we'll give you a chance. You know, we'll give you a shot at this. So I landed a couple of gigs of my own and started creating some material and used also used some of the Wilson learning material as well. So I was doing some 40% revenue gig work and then I was doing some 100% revenue, you know, gig work under my own kind of under my own company name. Hmm. Yeah. Would you be willing to give me a break? What a genius question just putting it out there that it is giving you a break and asking somebody to acknowledge that and see if they'd help you get started. And it it sounds like it worked. Well, you've got these three components of your business, living as a leader, being an author of two books, and then the real estate side. And I'm sure you love them all. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing them all. Is there one of them that these days really gets you excited, a particular aspect of working in your own business? Yeah. So that, so what's interesting about that is 
how I would have answered that question two years ago is different from how I'll answer it today. And, and oh, by the way, the I must love all three of them or I wouldn't be doing them. Let, let's be clear about the real estate. There is nothing to love about that. Mm. Like that managing, managing tenants and properties and painting like and roofs like that's I'm not loving that (laughs) so so that in fact I'm starting to peel off properties kind of one by one so sold one last year I'm getting two ready to sell right now and I'll 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 keep hanging on to um, some of the others more long term okay so that one comes off the docket like we're we're taking that one away less lovable Less lovable, very okay. much less lovable. We'll see if we get through this whole podcast without a, t- a tenant texting me. That that will be part of the litmus test. Let us okay. know if that happens for real. Yeah, I. Uh, you know what? I will. I will yeah. do yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Or a contractor or someone. Okay. So so living as a leader is the, the leadership development company that I co-lead. And that, that company I co-founded in 1996 with my now business partner, Nancy Lewis. And so, and, and, and we have over the years, we have created our own off the shelf curriculum, a variety of solutions and so on that are, I, I think they're wonderful. And we've built a team of trainers and contractors who, by the way, work for us at 40%, right? And, and, then, and then the margin, you know, comes to us and goes back into the business. I've been doing that work for 25 years. A few years ago, I really hit a wall. And I think this is what happens with, with people in midlife. It's, I've been doing the same thing for 25 or 30 years. I used to love it. Now I don't. And I just need something different. And that's where I was three years ago. And I kind of for all intents and purposes took a kind of a bit of a sabbatical, not not fully, but I really rolled up my sleeves to make a go of this platform to support women. So it's the books, it's online courses, it's it's a membership for women all designed to help women find the confidence and the hope and the belief in themselves to to go out and do something that they can be really passionate about. So I I was really, really on fire about that three years ago when I started writing the books and I started kind of building the platform. The idea of an online business was brand new for me, and I, I just wasn't really familiar. But of course, lots of people are building online platforms with podcasts and YouTube channels and blogs and you know Instagram stories and online courses and memberships and so on. And I was really, I was enjoying it. But then what I realized is there's so much outward facing work, and I'm an introverted person. It it became exhausting for me. And I real, and now I, the women that are part of my membership and my courses and who I coach, I enjoy them, but Holy smokes, I'll tell you what, I don't necessarily enjoy all of the things that are required to keep an online platform going. So I've kind of swung my pendulum back to the leadership development company. And I've, I have a renewed energy for that. Hmm. And so more of my, more of my time resources and creativity and energy is swinging back in the direction of the leadership development company. And surprisingly to both my partner and I and our team, while the pandemic was really hard on us, we are like, the company is really re-energized again, the phone is ringing, new clients are coming on board and we all can't believe it. So it's fun again. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe the lesson in that is sometimes we all just need a break from what we're doing to go do something else. And then we can come back re-energized and recharged for, you know, what we've always done. That's my experience right now. Yeah, that's awesome. There's so much to go on here and, and, I, I want to talk more about the leadership company and where your passion is, 
So I want to extract that passion and what's going on there. And you talked a lot about, I think it's with living as a leader, you guys came up with some proven steps and systems and things that have worked that love to dive into that as well. But before I do, Mm-hmm. Uh, I do not want to talk about real estate. I own real estate and I hope that your phone oh. does not buzz while we're on this call, but I want to go to the second mm-hmm. one real quick before we go to living as a leader, women who spark. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I would like to understand from your perspective and from the book that you authored, you know, what helps women spark? What, what was the, what was really the main concept behind that book and why should people read it? Yeah. So there's an, ana- thanks for asking that, John. So there's an analogy that I use. And that is that when women get somewhere in their midlife and a series of perhaps disappointments have stacked up. Mm-hmm. So unrealized dreams, um, things that have happened with things that have happened or, or haven't happened that you know, just feel disappointing. And a lot of women have said, my life didn't go the way I thought it would go. Mm. And there are many, many things that women struggle with, feel sad about, feel disappointed in. In fact, I have a list. I have a list of 44 items that I've dropped into a survey to help women connect with where they're at. So I call where women are at today. If in fact they're struggling, I call it the old land. Like we're standing on the old land. Okay. So we may be somewhere in our forties or fifties or sixties, and we're just stuck on this old land. And so what I share with women is, you know, let's lean into our 80 or 90 year old self and let's, let's imagine what she looks like and what she's doing and let's be hopeful and let's be kind and let's be, um, generous with ourselves that this 80 or 90 year old woman could in fact be living a very vibrant life. And so we're going to call that the new land. And so what work do we have to do to travel across the bridge from the old land that we're standing on right now that bears, you know, some semblance of disappointment to then get over to the new land where we can feel, we can feel happy, confident, and connected with a bigger purpose. And so what I work with women on is I work with them on making progress. And so we look at, we look at 10 compartments of life. We identify one or two areas of life to begin focusing on, to begin making progress on. And we, we just start, we start taking action one manageable step at a time until all of a sudden a woman one day says, oh my gosh, I like, I feel better. I don't even know how that happened, but I feel better. And it's because they're doing something. They're making progress. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I love the old land, new land concept. And I guess this is more of a men are from Mars, women are from Venus perspective. Mm-hmm. But uh, and maybe you can tell me more through your research. But is, is this specifically tailored towards women? Not because men haven't had disappointments or, or, or I'm sure men have had disappointments. But it seems to me like, you know, um, the female... Um, would envision things differently, maybe, right? Their, their, their wedding day might be different. Their family might be different. Their husband may be different. Their careers may be different. And then life has these different curveballs. And because they've envisioned so deep into the future, they get disappointed. That doesn't look the way they envisioned when they were you know, younger. Is that kind of the genesis of that? And men digest that a little bit differently? Is that, is that maybe we're less, we, let, we dream less about the future when we're younger boys, maybe, or something? Or? Perhaps, yeah. So um, so the first thing I would say is the reason I focused on women is because I am a woman. Yeah. And because when I was 40 years old, my life was a disaster. It was a mess. And so I made a note to self and I said, one day mm-hmm. when I climb myself out of this mess, I take one step at a time across the bridge to a new land. I'm going to help other women do the same. I've talked to a number of men who have read my books and who have said, oh my gosh, this helped me so much. And I know I'm not a woman, but I have some of the same issues. So John, I think, I think men deal with disappointment. I think they deal with imposter syndrome. I, in fact, I just talked with a man yesterday who's considering hiring me as a coach. He's very successful. He's 40 years old. And he feels he's struggling. He says, I feel stuck. I don't feel like I'm enough. Um, I, I have low self-worth. 
And I, I think that, I think that even though men are from Mars and women are from Venus, I think we still in the human experience are the same in that life doesn't go the way that we thought it would. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think the, the piece that, that you added here is two dimensional. One is your passion was you wanted to take a lot of your learnings and, and what sparked you and got you going right in, in, in midlife when you were thinking about where you wanted to go and where you were and, and help other women. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the same token, you know, I'm happy to hear that this is also for males because you know, you are correct. There is disappointment. Things aren't going the way. And I'd love to know what these 10 compartments are uh, that you talk about, because I'm sure if we list them all, you know, there's certain areas, you, you, you know, not everybody's, you know, firing on all cylinders on all 10 areas. And it's the area of making progress right. and picking two and getting stronger in them. And so I, so I really love that. Um, and, and how you, you look at the old land, new land. And, you know, it reminds me of, um, I listened to, uh, uh, a, you know, a leadership uh, podcast by Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Sure. There's a lot of marketing things. You bet. And, and, and the biggest thing he keeps telling people is stop thinking you're so old, you know, and, and it reminds me of your new land thing. You know, we look at ourselves and go, oh my gosh, we're in our midlife, you know, oh my God, it's always, oh, it's over. I got nothing, you know. And the mm-hmm. reality is, is there's so much time ahead of us. Uh, and there's so mm-hmm. much to be thinking about and get ready for. I'm sure that's a lot of, of what you have learned and what you share with your audience. Absolutely. And and in fact, I would say to anyone listening, draw a horizontal line on a piece of paper right now and then tick it off into segment in 10 year segments from age zero yeah. to age 100. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, you might even drop in the zero, 10, 20, 30, 40. And then what you can do, I like I like people to circle or put an X on that timeline where they feel they are an adult, right? Where does your adult life start? Okay, so a lot of people pick age 20. So let's yeah. just go with age 20. Yeah. And then now put an X where, where you are right now. What's your age right now? So let's imagine someone puts an X by 50, And then I draw a bracket that goes from age 20 to age 50. So it's almost like we're drawing a little bridge on top of our timeline and then count how many years from when your adult life started to where you are right now today. Okay. So let's imagine it's 30 years. Now think about how much has happened in 30 years and someone even could you as an exercise, you could write down everything you've done right? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, I went to school. I finished school. I got a degree. I bought a house. I had kids. I raised kids. I started a hobby. I learned how to golf. I, you know, I traveled to 35 countries. I, I started a business. I sold a business. Like, look at all the things we can do in 30 years. I can't believe the number of people who at age 50, who are disappointed and say, oh my God, like I, I wrecked my life. Like I, it, like it's done. It's over for me. And I say, okay, now let's put an X at age 80 or age 90. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's imagine you're going to live until age 80 or 90, but then also put an X where you think you might like fully retire. And I always encourage people to think about fully retired, meaning I'm completely done doing anything part-time. Like my dad, as an example, is 83 years old. He drives a van for an assisted living community, taking the older women, I guess men too, to their appointments and shopping. He loves it. He's so happy. He enjoys it. So let's draw our timeline. If I said to my dad, okay, you're 83 years old. Let's imagine at 50, you thought your life was over. He's been productive for 33 more years, doing an awful lot of things. Being a wonderful grandpa, taking up, he did motorcycle riding for a while. He golfed, he took up golfing. um, He became more interested in investing and he's done a number of gig jobs, all of which he's enjoyed. Yeah. So we have a lot of time. Why are we in such a rush? Mm -hmm. Is this just, I mean, is this really at the root of it, a perspective thing? I have my line, I drew my line on my sheet. I got this and and you're right. Like, since I've been an adult and what I have going forward, I'm almost, you know, I'm, I'm barely halfway through my adult life and what I want to accomplish, let alone my retired life. And, but yet we're in such a rush, right? Like why is it, is it just, you know, is it the, um, 
you know, when you when you look at you know the Joneses across the street, is is it kind of that and, and media kind of publishing you know what other people's successes are and you're then being introspective? What do you think is causing that? Because it's not only your dreams and aspirations that may not be exactly where they are, but we always feel like we're not there. You're never going to get there. There's always going to be somebody that's richer, better looking, uh, has a more successful career, has a better family, or whatever, like whatever, whatever you can think yeah. of. You know, how do we correct that perspective? So, John. Life? Yeah. So what we have to do is we have to stop simply looking around and living in a comparison trap and we have to start doing the work. And that means get out a piece of paper and assess where you are at in your life. And be so so if we go back to these 10 areas of life, I have an online assessment it's at alitanorris.com. And maybe you'll post this link forward slash life hyphen assessment. And step one is, okay, let's, let's stop looking around. Let's stop seeing what the Joneses are doing. And let's take stock of where we're at in our life. And where do we have contentment? Where do we have happiness? Where do we have peace? So we look at these 10 areas. And for each one, we're able to identify what is my current level of satisfaction on the scale of one to five. Five is, wow, I'm very satisfied in this area of my life. One is, this is a disaster. So we go one by one. I'll name off what they are. I'll see if I can name all of them. So it's our relationship with our significant others. And, you know, if you're listening, you might want to just play along here and give yourself a rating, your relationship with your significant other your role as a parent, if you're a parent. So I do the mom role. So how satisfied are you in your role as a parent? Another is your home and space. How satisfied are you with that? What about your profession? How satisfied are you with your career, work, life, profession? Your fitness. How satisfied are you with your fitness? Your friendships your finances, your hobbies and interests. Another one is your sense of joy and peace and fulfillment. And I know there's one I missed. I might just kind of glance at my book while we're talking. Once we do this, here's what, here's what isn't a ha for, for people. We'll talk about people in general, not just women is when I look at my life and I've done the work to assess it, like I've paused and I've stopped looking at the neighbor's house across the street. Uh I can look down and say, oh my gosh, like I feel satisfaction in half of the areas of my life. And then I see two areas are really struggle points for me. And then a couple areas are somewhere in the middle. Here's the problem we get ourselves into. If we have two areas of our life that are really a disaster, we think our whole life's a disaster, but it's not, but we don't know that because we haven't done the work to methodically take stock of where we're at. Well, tell me about your perspective on the role social media has with how we evaluate where we are in our level of happiness based on your experience in coaching? You know, Rich, I wish that I had been paying more attention to something my husband was playing for me last. He said, honey, listen to this. And I gave it ancillary. I I should have tuned in, but it was about social media. And it was about the degree to which social media is elevating exponentially the level of anxiety and depression and loneliness that people feel. So I think it's a lot. I think social media, I, one of the things that I talk about in my book is that women struggle and maybe men as well. They struggle when they caught, get caught up going down the rabbit hole of social media because the comparison trap comes to life. Mm-hmm. And as I scroll through carefully curated candid photos, now that term is important, carefully curated candid photos. I'm looking at how beautiful and happy 
all of the people are who are in my feed. But what I'm not taking into consideration is that after the beautiful picture is taken, well, let me say it this way. Life is what happens between photos. Mm. Right. So real life is what happens when the picture is not being taken. And I, it, it's one of the reasons, Rich, that I shared earlier that when I swung the pendulum three years ago over to this, on, over to this online platform and thought, oh, I'm going to build, I'm going to build a platform to reach out to, you know, hundreds of thousands of women. I found that I was struggling by how much it required me to be on social media. And I, I admire people who just get off social media or who take a week off every month and take a month off every year. We, we have to get ourselves off of social media, at least intermittently. Yeah. And is that the piece uh, you mentioned earlier, all the things it takes to keep an online platform going and you just weren't interested in that anymore. It sounds like social media was at least a piece of that. Can you expand on what are all the things to keep an online platform going for oh some God. of our entrepreneur listeners who may be yeah. considering doing an online platform? What should they be aware of? Yeah, that's, oh my gosh. So when I started this about three years ago, I, I didn't even know how to do a video. I didn't know how to post a video. I didn't, you know, there are so many things I didn't know. And of course, Gary V, Gary, um, I always call him Gary V. John, say his last name again. Vaynerchuk. Vaynerchuk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, huge online platform with millions of followers. So once we have an idea and we know as an, as an influencer that we have an audience that we want to connect with, we call that person our ICA, our ideal customer avatar. And so I wanted to connect with women ages 45 to 65. So once we determine that, then there's, I mean, we have to figure out what is the message that we're, that we're sharing? What's the value proposition? And then where do I want to be present? And so I'll just share that where I decided to be present was um, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. So I started a YouTube channel. Please don't anybody go there. Um, I, I didn't, I mean, there's not a lot of content there because it just, it just felt like too much to me. Um, and, and then building an email list. So when you decide what platforms you want to be on, then you have to create content. So this podcast is an example of content. I didn't go down that route. I'm, so I'm not a podcaster, but I'm a blogger and I, and I did YouTube videos. And then another bucket is your email list creation. So email list, and that, you know, that requires that you have free items that you give away freebies, you know, and everyone knows what that is. Enter your email and I'll send you this guide for free. So now you're on my list and now I need to be talking to my list regularly. And then we have the creation of online courses and we have online memberships and, um, and we have to be visible. And again, I'm happiest when I'm by myself, believe it or not, when I'm by myself and I love quietness. And so I suddenly created an environment for myself where I needed to be going live on Facebook, posting Instagram stories thinking about what will my next blog be? What email will I be sending out to which list? Cause I've got more than one list and it it's it, for me, it, it's just a lot. Mm. And then we, we have to learn a lot of things. We have to learn how to, how to take a video. We have to learn how to create social posts and graphic design. And um, we, we have to learn how to do a Facebook live that, that, you know, that's new for people who are, contemplating online businesses, I learned how to write and publish two books. And, and Rich, there's more, like I, I could keep going on, but maybe that's enough for right now. Sure. Um, and it lot. sounds like you got in the thick of it, discovered what the grind of having an online platform was and said, hey, this grind is not for me. And then I'm curious now when you look at living as a leader, 
What is the grind involved in that business after 25 years? And what attracts you to that particular grind? Yeah. So um, interestingly enough, a few years ago, living as a leader was feeling like a grind to me. And I, we, so we've got, I think now post pandemic, we've got 15 employees and, um, and then we've got a few, what we'll call fringe facilitators kind of out in the field as contract contract trainers for us. And prior to the pandemic, I was in a funk because we had so much overhead and there was so much pressure to bring in new business. And I had up sales and marketing, not, I'm not brilliantly, but I've always been responsible to generate new business. And I wasn't having fun because our company had grown and we had a, we got to a place where we just had so much overhead. We have a beautiful office but the, the lease payments very high. And we had, you know, a number of six figure income employees. And I told my partner before the pandemic, I said, I'm just not having fun. And, and going back a few years before that, when I started writing my first book, I said, I'm just, I'm tired. Like I'm tired of the hamster wheel of generating work to pay for the enterprise. Now, I mean, we're a small company. I, I have no false illusions about that. We, we're a small company, but 25 years is a long time to continue to have to bring in new business to, you know, give our employees what they need and pay all the bills. So the pandemic was actually a blessing for us because it allowed us to right size the business and we got rid of, we got rid of some heavy overhead. And now very surprising to me and to my partner and to maybe our team, perhaps as a result of, of um, the pandemic and a shift to hybrid teams and so on, there must be uh, there must be some compelling need for leadership development because our phone is ringing. Mm. So business is coming to us without the same amount of effort that we that I feel we had to, um, kind of put forth in years past. So the grind, there was a grind, but the grind is gone. And now I'm very re-energized. And I also have, in fact, brought forward to living as a leader, some of the online kind of technology capabilities that I learned. And so we're building an online platform at living as a leader. Um, we're bringing more video courses into living as a leader, more kind of self-directed learning and I learned how to do those things in this kind of departure that I took. Mm -hmm. So the grind is gone, Rich. I, I feel really, I feel very energized again about this 25 year career that I've had. That's great. I have yeah. a, I have a three part question for you. You had said you were 40 years old and you found yourself where life was a disaster was, were the words you used. So that was your old land at that time. Uh, to the extent that you're comfortable, I'd be curious for you to share what is that land just from a relating standpoint with our listeners. Then I'd love to have you share what is the new land that you discovered at that time? And then the third part of that question is, how are you doing on your bridge in making progress? Okay, good. Yeah, thanks. So <laughs> the old land, when I was 21 years old, 22 years old, I was on a flight from Milwaukee to Dallas to take my new job and move into a new apartment. I, I was so excited. I couldn't, I, I couldn't stand it. I'm, I was, I grew up in the dairy lands of Wisconsin and I was moving to the big city. And while I was on that flight, I was reading a, a self-help book. And this book, one of the exercises was make a list of all your life goals. And so I did that. I, uh, and this, this was kind of the wonderful land I was standing on as a bright-eyed recent college grad. So I would have a great career. I would get married. I would have three kids. Um, I would travel. I would be fit. I'd probably start running even though I wasn't running then. Um, I'd become a better piano player. I'd have a, I'd probably put a white picket fence around my house. Everything was going to be really wonderful because after all, look where I was. So fast forward, 
18 years, like we're only talking 18 years from that day. I was a twice divorced single mom of three adolescent children with a credit score of 520. It was a mess. It was a mess. And things happened in it. Things happened in my life that I never dreamed would happen to me. And the most difficult thing, and I'll share this because it, I, I want someone to be inspired that we can rise above our circumstances. So like many people, my, my marriage to my children's dad, it just was a mismatch. It, 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 it was an amicable, amicable split 11 years later. But then I accidentally married an abusive alcoholic man who destroyed me financially, tried to emotionally. And that was about a five-year experience. And so that was my 40-year-old self. And a lot of people come out of a catastrophic experience that was really out of their control. For me, it was due to some naivety because there were warning signs before I married this person. Um, but I did. I married him and it was catastrophic. So I, I'm a hopeful person. And so that was the old land. And thank you for I, sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. And you know, it, it, it turns out one of the things, one of the phrases, I don't know who coined it, but one of the phrases that I've always liked is as people, let's turn our mess into our message. If that had not happened to me, I maybe would have been just another woman living an easy enough life, being too egocentric and caught up in what a lovely life I'm living. But instead, I got knocked off a pedestal and I had a I had a crappy time of it, but I then could relate to other people having hardship in their life. It made me a more compassionate person and a more empathetic person. And of course, we can help people more effectively as coaches if we can relate to them. If we can say, you know what, I've been there. And I know that you've got a hard journey ahead of you. And I don't have the answer for what each step of yours is going to look like. But what I want you to know is that there's a high possibility that it will get better. Right? Because I, because let me tell you, you know, it, it happened for, it happened for me. And so the, I call it too, I call this the desert crossing because when I was 40, I was, you know, I was in the old land and the old land was kind of a desert and I just started doing work. I, I started reading a lot of books. I started getting really serious about managing a budget and figuring out how I could recover from a financial devastation caused by somebody else. And it was one step at a time. And I would say that I had 10 years of a tough go of it. But, but there's joy. There's even joy when we're struggling. So I encourage everybody who's going through a hard time, keep it in perspective. Don't, don't become a martyr. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't become bitter. Don't let the bad circumstances destroy you. Just accept them for what they are and start doing the work and find yourself a coach. If you need a coach, right? Someone who can help you take one step at a time. And so I'm 58 years old now. I've been with my now husband. Third time is definitely a charm. I've been with him for um, 10 years. We've been married for three years. I am happier than I've ever been. I have three children who are all expecting babies. Um, in fact, one had a baby. So I'm a grandma now. I have another baby coming in a month, another baby coming in five months. We have a beautiful blended family. I'm financially secure through years of hard, hard work. Um, and so the new land is I'm happy. I'm confident. I'm grateful. Um, I, I'm blessed. And, you know, it was 18 years ago that I stood in that desert and it was just probably within this past year 
where my husband and I looked at one another. He's 65. He had a rough season as well. And he looked at me one day and he said, oh my God, we won. Like we won at life. And I'm, you know, a little emotional even saying that because you reach a point where it doesn't, it feels like you're losing, yeah. but we just have to not give up. Yeah. Uh, wow. Was that an inspirational story? Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing, as Rich said. And, and you know, what, what's interesting, it goes back to your timeline, right, uh, that you shared with us, which is really, when you, when you think about it, no matter where you are on that timeline, you know, what you did is you took five to 10 years of your life of putting your head down and saying, I'm not accepting this, mm -hmm. and I'm going to work my way out of it. And when you think about the long time horizon you have, at the age of 40 or 50, way too many people, I think, think it's over. The game's over. You're only, you're not even, you know, you're, you're just starting. Right. Uh, so to take five to 10 years, would you take five to 10 years to actually get to the point where you can say, I'm winning at life and I have all these different things. Mm -hmm. And that's where the perseverance comes in and the work comes in. And I mm -hmm. really, really appreciate you sharing that story. And there's just so much here, you know, turn your mess into a message that really hit home with me uh, in, a, in a bunch of different ways. I, I really appreciate that. This kind of comes, though, to, to one big question I have, and I'm curious what the book was reading when you're on the airplane, if you remember, but, you know, was it Tony Robbins or something? That hit me. No, <laughs> it wasn't. And I've tried to, I've gone on Amazon. I've tried to find this book. It was yeah. a time management book. Okay. And I can't, I cannot remember the name of it. And it really yeah. bothers me because it's an important part of the story. Yeah, no, but, yeah. but I guess one of the questions I have is, where do you sit on goal setting? And, and I, the reason why I'm asking is because if you set expectations, you're setting expectations to potentially be disappointed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you just do your best and don't have expectations, you can't really be disappointed. Where mm -hmm. do you sit on, you know, people setting goals, aggressive goals that, are setting themselves up? Or do you believe that setting those goals and working through those goals is the right way? To, where do you sit on that? Yeah, I so I think it's I think it's good for us to have a vision. Right. And so if I go back again to these 10 areas of life, mm -hmm. I like for us to drill down to the specificity of each area of life. So let's say like many, many people, let's say that it's my fitness that's bothering me. Yeah. Right. And it's that I know that I'm not eating the right foods. I'm not eating healthy foods. And I know that I wish I wish I were just a bit slimmer because I know that's good for me. So let's sure. imagine that. And now we don't have to get caught up in a hard and fast goal around my around what that outcome is going to look like. I like for people to take one step at a time and, and to have it be such a small goal or strategy that there's no way we can fail. And so I'll give you a couple of examples. So let's say somebody knows that they have a, they have a, they just have a bad diet, a bad collection of foods that they, that they eat. I like to start with, okay, starting tomorrow, what is one thing that you would like to stop doing relative to the food that you put in your body. Just one thing. And it could be, well, I'm going to stop eating a bowl of ice cream every night before I go to bed. Okay. That's it. That that's all I want you to focus on. You, you don't even have to change anything else. Yep. Yep. Just focus on that. And let's, let's get you comfortable with that. And if you slip, that's okay. If, yeah. if tomorrow night you have a bowl of ice cream, that's okay. Maybe you can make it half what you usually do, but th that's okay. Then, then the next morning hit, just hit the reset button and say, okay, now, you know, now I'm, now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start over again, but it's yeah. okay. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm really, I'm more about start doing, stop doing, start doing, stop doing, because mm -hmm. what small incremental change when added up, makes a measurable difference. And, and James Clear is one of the habits guys that I really, really like. He wrote Atomic Habits. Yep. And he talks about what a 1% change does. If you make a 1% change and you, and you honor that change every single day, 
that that will that will change things. And I'm going to use the bowl the bowl of ice cream. So I'm going to say a bowl of ice cream has 500 calories. If I make that change and I stop eating a bowl of ice cream every night, that's 3,500 calories a week. 3,500 calories equals one pound. Yep. Think how if if that's all I did. Yeah. I half might a bowl. trim down a little bit. Right. Or have half a bowl. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you get the idea. I'm yeah. more about the mini changes than I am about setting big Herculean goals. And you said it earlier, and that's kind of where I was going, is the not setting grandiose, too far out in the future goals that are setting yourself up. And Rich, I mean, you and I were there back in college. I mean, we were we were cutting stuff out of magazines and putting it into a book, but that's the yacht we're going to own. <laughs> you still have it, right? Oh, that's um, great. And, Let's like, see it. And then that's fun. That's a fun exercise. Mm-hmm. But it certainly puts yourself in a position of potential disappointment if you're going way too far versus the I'm going to cut down on my ice cream tonight for the next week. Sure. You know, the yeah. disappointment level is not that high. Oh, that's the okay. chalet you're going to live in. That's yeah. great. Okay. Yeah. And listen, but, I think that's okay, John, because yeah. that gives us something to be excited about. Yeah. Well, you said it earlier. There's 10 compartments of life. Pick two that you want to work on and make progress. Right. You didn't say envision where you're going to be 20 years from now and then, you know, to the max level, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's make progress. And if you can make yeah. progress towards those things weekly, monthly, yearly, and do that continuously for five, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years, you'll get to a point where like, well, I, I won. And maybe yeah. you pick the next area or you, you kind of keep developing all those. So I, I really love that. And I appreciate you sharing all that. Yeah. I'll give, let me give you an example that came up yesterday. Cause this, this gentleman I was talking to who I said is really struggling in his life right now. He said to me, he said, if I can get myself to the gym in the morning, I know that I have a better chance of a good day. Yep. And so I, I asked him, I said, so how often are you getting yourself to the gym? He said only a couple times a week, two or three times a week. And I said, okay, here's what I want you to do tomorrow. When your alarm goes off, I want you to have set your workout clothes next to your bed the night before. So have everything you wear to work out, have it next to your bed. When your alarm goes off, the only thing I want you thinking about is getting up and putting on your workout clothes. That's it. Now, once your workout clothes are on, then you decide what you're going to, what you're going to do next. Are you going to go back to bed or are you going to go to the gym? Right. And then I said, now, once you get to the gym, why don't you say to yourself, I'm committing to being here for 15 minutes, right? I'm just going to be here for 15 minutes. I'm going to do a couple things. And then when that 15 minutes is up, see how you feel. Do you want to leave? If you do leave, like seriously leave, be kind to yourself. But if you've got some forward momentum, why don't you go ahead and just see how much longer you want to stay at the gym? And he just said, oh, my God, I think I can do that. (laughs) that's powerful what a good example of just making progress just do the Mm -hmm. just do the next thing you don't don't have to overwhelm yourself Mm -hmm. yeah well i'll tell you i am so appreciative for as many gifts as you've given our listeners throughout the the course of this podcast before we sign off i'd love to check in with you on if there's one lasting message that our listeners could hear from you knowing that our listeners are entrepreneurs in various stages of running their businesses, what would that lasting message from you be? So I, I like this notion and we talked about this, that you have time, you have time. And there's a lot of pressure on us who are entrepreneurs. Some of us live in fear. We live in fear of, you know, something and we don't take time to enjoy our life along the way. There, there's time. So draw the timeline. Be crystal clear about how long you see your entrepreneurial journey lasting. And, you know, take more time to enjoy it along the way. Thank you, Alita. Much appreciated. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, John. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, turn your mess into the message. Absolutely. You know, that's certainly something that that resonates in not only her story, but also 
I'm sure we can all relate to that. You know, we, when you get learnings in life, you're either going to turn it into something positive or you're going to dwell on it. And certainly an example here of working 10 years to work herself into a position. And I'm sure it was, as she said, step by step, I'm going to just make one small progress here, one small progress there. Uh, I'd love to read her book, Women Who Spark, knowing that it's not just for women and that men can learn from, from that book as well. But what a story. And what I thought was really interesting, if I go, we went all the way back to the bidding, something we didn't talk about at the beginning. Um, this is not the first person. It's probably third, fourth, maybe fifth person who we've talked to over the last year who their first role out of college was in a sales capacity. Yes. Then moved into the entrepreneurial landscape later on in life and continued to evolve, right? Evolve through, but ultimately those skills they learned all the way back to when she first went to that company and said, would you be willing to give me a break? That was a sales uh, skill that she had learned, right? And how important sales is in entrepreneurship. But the fact that she's a multi-entrepreneurial person was interesting as well. We didn't talk too much about that, but way too many people... Uh, in their careers, may put all their eggs in that one basket. Uh, she's diversified herself in a few different areas. And and the, the good news about that is when one area she found out, that's I really don't have a passion for this, she then had the other area to invest a lot of her time in. So phenomenal story. I loved a lot of the learnings. I love the timeline piece. Um, and I would love to go do this life assessment here as well as soon as we uh, get done this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the idea of take a break from what we're doing and that'll often recharge you with what you're doing. It was interesting because she needed to take a break from this 20, now 25 year uh, life passion and living as a leader. And she kind of needed to take a break from it. And she said, three years ago, I would have said, you know, that was a grind. And now that's my passion. And that came about from taking a break from it. I think it speaks to, as an entrepreneur, sometimes there's the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence scenario where you're looking at a different business or someone else's business or someone else's, uh, what was that word she used? Carefully curated and candid photos about yeah. what's happening in their business that you might see on LinkedIn or social media. But yeah. ultimately, you may find out that you're actually in love and recharged with the original business. Yeah, real life happens between photos. Carefully curated, candid photos is all we see. And you're right, when you're operating a business and you're in it for a long period of time, and when you're in a business 10 plus years, you've been there a good amount of time. And you start getting to 15 or 20 years, you're in the same business, you start acting more robotic. You may not be seeing opportunities. You start getting a little you know, drained by some of the negative things that happen in that business on a constant basis versus the energy you used to have. And to take that time off is so critical, but it's all about perspective. And that's something we've talked a lot about that I think is, continues to come back over and over again, right? You know, there's the perspective of uh, the comparison trap where you look at your perspective and go, you know, I don't have what they have and their photos look better than my photos. And then and you start getting that comparison trap. That's one level of perspective. There's another level of perspective when you pull yourself away from your business, or you pull your way from anything and you start being more introspective and thinking through and looking at other people that aren't don't even have half the things you have in life and you start getting a different level of perspective that changes your happiness factor as well. And you go, maybe that wasn't so bad. <laughs> mm. Maybe the stuff that I got drained at over 20 years working at that business wasn't as bad as I thought it was because when I have perspective in a different way. So I, I really think that time off piece, I know when I took a year sabbatical, the perspective I was able to gain by just reading and listening and looking really helped reinvigorate the next phase of what I wanted to do. And, and that is, that is something too, Rich, we haven't talked too much about, but I think she brought to light here very, very well. There are different phases of your life. You have your childhood and adolescence, which you know may be up to 20, as she said, and that's one phase of your life that you're never going to repeat again. But then you almost have three phases in your adult life, right? Maybe you're 20 to 50, and then you have your 50 to maybe 80, and then you have your retirement, you know, whatever the, those sections are. And way too often, we dwell on where we are right now versus you know taking the time have perspective yeah. yeah and you had mentioned a moment ago you wanting to take that life assessment you know it's not the first time 
we've heard about doing a life assessment. But what was unique about her message that I either I don't remember uh, ever taking this approach to it. She had two things that were unique. One was having a vision in each area of life. I've taken life assessments before, but I've never sat down and said, what is my vision in every independent area? Then you had reiterated with her when she was on with us, taking two of the categories and her recommendation is, you know, what are small things that start doing and stop doing just to make some progress on those two areas? Those two nuances, having a vision in each area, only picking two and just doing little things, not trying to absolutely revolutionize your world with it. Uh, those are nuances to taking a life assessment that I think are valuable. Yeah. You know, when you talk about that and the vision and the two things and make progress, that's why I asked that question about where do you stand today on in your younger self, right? When, when you are in your 20s and you're graduating from school and you're, you're on that plane going to Dallas and you're thinking about what your life has to offer, are you setting these grandiose goals to set yourself up? Because life is about curveballs. You're going to get them. And, you know, it almost seems like when she was on that plane that day, writing down these big aspirational goals, she was visualizing them and she was seeing herself in the light. When she, when she found out she wasn't actually there, you know, 10, 20 years later, that was a big sense of disappointment. And what I loved about her approach now when she's talking to people that are maybe mid-career is like, hey, hold on a second. Don't worry about too grandiose of goals. Where are you now? And what are the next couple of things you could do to make progress this week to next week to next month? And that 1% atomic habits that she talked about, it's so critical. And I think way too often people just give up when they're 40 or 45 or 50 because they don't want to put in the work, quite honestly. They don't want, they, they don't care or they've given up or they think the timeline's over. Oh my gosh, midlife. And, and they're not willing to put in that what are one or two things I could do this week? And then one or two things next week. You just improve 1% every week. And that compounding uh, you know, interest, if you will, on that improvement will probably get you to a place that you, you land where she landed, which I, I think was an emotional moment for her. And I think you and I both felt it. She's like, we're winning in life.